sunshine. You'll shiver when the cold wind blows. There's a grave in the pine where the sun never shines. There's a grave that's shaded with a pine. On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back, Wayne. Welcome back to you also, (laughs) Ashley. Hello, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Good, good. I'm very happy to hear that. Yes. Very happy to have you back. Oh, you have news, I feel like. You joined a club. I did. I did do that. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You feel free. He joined the I Said Yes Club. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. Um, that was such a lame way to say it, but I just like had to come up with something other than like the engagement club like I did on social. No, I really, I actually really preferred that. So, <laughs> you yes. You like that? Thank you all in advance uh, if you reach out when you hear this. But this past weekend, which, of course, will be like two to three weekends after anybody's hearing this. Yes. Um, my partner, he did pop the all important question <laughs> to which I immediately responded with, what are you doing? Get up. Stop get up. It. Get up. What are you? Get up. Yeah. Why are you on the ground? Um, and, uh, and then I, of course, immediately said, well, yes, of course, I'll marry you. <laughs> and now there's a ring on it. Yes, there is. And we are super happy and super excited about that. And anyone who should ask. How I feel about it, my consistent, honest answer is easiest decision I ever made. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I love it. Easiest and I love that you I say that. Made. Yay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I sprung that on you. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the yes. Queens, Kings, and Folks. Welcome, Welcome back. back to this place that we call the Slay Queens Podcast. Yes, ma'am. And what is it that we do here? You know, I always forget this part. <laughs> We take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. That is correct. We do. And I'm uh, giggling so hard at the little like hand flip. Yeah. <laughs> if only people could see it yeah, uh, in I all know. my gay glory. <laughs> That's exactly um, what. Also, also, we engage in tomfoolery and shenanigans. We do. Whilst trying to tell you stories of the LGBTQIA plus true crime variety. And informing the queendom. Exactly. Teaching the Queendom all about how fucked up the world is. That's exactly right. That's that what is we correct. are here for. That is what we are here for. So, shall we dive into a rainbow star? Yes. All right, Do you so, want to peruse? Peruse. I will kick us off. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're unfamiliar with the Rainbow Star, the Rainbow Star is where we make shout outs, we give thank yous, we make announcements or acknowledgements, and we also offer recommendations. And it's not a gold star, it's a rainbow star because we're queer. <laughs> That's and because exactly we said right. so. And because we said so. Because we said so. It's our show and not <laughs> yours. Yes. All right. So, first and foremost, I would love to shout out a few podcasts. First and foremost, Ten Genteel Downpour. And also Sideshow with Mel and it's either Shanna or Shana. I apologize. Please let me know the correct pronunciation for next time. Mel gave us a really, really lovely five-star rate review on Apple. So thank you so much for that. And please go and show those podcasts and those folks some support. Also, Shoot the Flick, as well as Snyder's Return and Woman's Opinion Podcast. We love all of those shows and all of those people. So please give them an outpouring of love and support. And also our friend Celeste over at Taboo's podcast. Thank you so much just for your love and appreciation and recommendations on Twitter and just mentioning us on your platforms. 
it means more to us than you could possibly ever know. It does. It really, really, really really does. does. We just really appreciate it so, so much. I guess that was a shout out and a thank you. Yes, it really was. I have a tendency to combine those two. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. But I mean, I really like star better than what just like tar. Yeah, that would be cute. Star. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it It has to be an actual word. It actually, yeah, it, it makes much more sense this way. So that's all I have currently. Would you like to make, make a few announcements? Yeah. Make the announcements. So, yeah, we are speaking to you from the past, as my co-host loves to say. <laughs> so this will be, so next week will be the week of Christmas and New Year's for us in real time. So we've decided to take a little bit of break of a break. So we will, you know, just take have one week off. It'll be the first week of January for y'all listening. Yeah, and then kind of just get like geared up for season three, which I guess brings us to the second announcement. I'm like, what are the two? And what's like more than one announcement? What do you mean announcements? Okay, so yeah, we're kind of going to do things a little differently. Do you want to explain a bit? Sure, sure, sure. Do you sure. want me to um, do this? Oh, sure. <laughs> Coming back for season three, yes. we are making it a point to still cover some of the same types of material like for the podcast. However, we want to incorporate a few more recommendations and reviews of docuseries and documentaries. It's sort of our way of doing like a lot more watching and a lot less reading, which like both of us love to read. Don't get us wrong. So when it comes to like a documentary or a docuseries type, we've discussed it on the pod that we're both the kind that are like, okay, what's going on with this case now or what's happened since this 1993 or whatever. So yeah, go on. Exactly. (laughs) So what you can expect there is that each week, one of us will just kind of tell the story. We'll dive into it. We'll do the research as we normally do. And then the counterpart will offer just kind of a rate and review and thoughts on the episode itself. And, you know, what would be 2020 appropriate versus what is not 2020 or 2021 appropriate. Yeah. And that's Um, kind of what made us decide we wanted to do it. Just seeing old, like what, I think it was the forensic files episode that got both of us. Yeah, absolutely was. It was very offensive the way that they were talking. And actually, honestly, this, the case that I'm going to cover today, Mm. a lot of the things that I watched, it was hard to watch because of the fact that this person was misgendered the whole time. Yeah. So this is actually going to tie right into that. So Yeah, yeah, perfectly. Also, expanding on that a little bit, since we are going to try and primarily focus, as we always do, on LGBTQIA plus cases, that does limit us a little bit. So you may intermittently, occasionally hear a story from us that isn't like specific to the queer community, but they will be marginalized groups of people because we can still bring forth that same message of how Uh, law enforcement and the community tends to, and by the community, I mean the general public and general population tend to respond differently to certain crimes than they do others. Uh And also we've added as a benefit to being a fan folk on Patreon, we are going to take story requests, not recommendations, requests, and we are going to be telling those stories specifically. So once a month, we are going to be telling a story that has been requested by one of our fan club members, one of the fan folks, And the remainder of the month, we're going to try to tell you all stories that we came across watching a docuseries or a documentary, telling you that story and then reviewing that documentary or that episode. So precisely. Yeah, that is what we're trying to bring the folks in season three. And also, if you have any other recommendations or requests, please reach out and let us know. Yes, please. (laughs) And do you have any recommendations for the week? I don't think 
So, you know, this whole week, I wanted to tell you about this because yesterday I've just been watching a lot of really terrible. And when I say terrible, I mean, like, literally, Sarah was like, can we watch one of those cheesy true crime shows like Who the Bleep Did I Marry or like Nightmare Next Door? You know those mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Are super oh, yeah. Dramatic. I live for those things. I love them. So yeah. I've, I've been watching just a lot of those and I highly recommend that always. But <laughs> there was, okay, I wrote it down exactly what she said. Okay. I was watching one yesterday and I was just wa- eating food eating my dinner, watching this episode. And someone said, there was this moment where someone said, he picked up the clock and clocked her with it. And I, (laughs) and I laughed, but it made me chuckle so hard. Like I stopped like mid chew and just like looked around and like, just put my food down. Like, bitch, that's what you find funny. (laughs) So yeah, I was like full on existential crisis mode, but it was definitely, it's worth, those shows are worth it because it makes you laugh like that. I agree. It really does. And it's so dramatic. So yeah, that's why, that was my moment. (laughs) And you have to find a way to excuse the term, but but you have to find a way to take the piss out of these terrible stories of crimes. Yeah. So you have to make it entertaining in some way, shape, form or fashion. And all the successful docuseries and podcasts who cover true crime specifically do that really well. They do. That's And we hope to do that well someday. That's what what we're aiming for. (laughs) That's our goal. That is our goal. Do you have any though? Did you have anything? I really don't. I really had a silly moment when I was getting ready to come here because I'd gone to the gym and I ran home quickly to shower and uh, I was putting on my deodorant and I was like, man, this smells so good. I love native deodorant so much. Everybody should know about native deodorant. Why don't they sponsor us on the podcast? We literally all both have like six different ones. That's so yeah. funny. And uh, I've got one of the, the holiday scents. It's the sugar cookie. Ooh, I haven't seen that oh, one. Oh, it's amazing. I it is absolutely one. amazing. I looked for the peppermint one, mm-hmm. couldn't find it, ended up getting the sugar cookie one. I kind of want that one now. Yeah, so <laughs> I recommend that. And I recommend that everyone at Native with that soundbite so that they will know who we are (laughs) and that they will hopefully sponsor us at some point. It's yours if you want it. I just wanted to acknowledge and say, I'm so sorry, you know, Karen and Georgia, if you ever listen, Will Elvis, which immediately my selfish brain went, oh my God, could you imagine like Lucy? She's so, oh yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. R.I.P. Elvis. Pour one out for little homie. Yeah. So yeah, that was why I, just, I wanted to mention it because okay. they, you know, that's what got me into podcasting. I wanted to say, I hear you. I see you. We love you. And yeah. we're sad for you. We are sad and we're sorry. Yeah. So now we'll go to break on a summer. Yes, note. we will. <laughs> we'll come back <laughs> happy. I promise. Okay. We've got wine now. And <laughs> we got a drink. We are back, 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 back again. Yes. And we're in a better mood and we're happy and we're here. But now I'm going to tear it right back down. <laughs> That's what we do. That's kind of what happens. Yeah. I guess this should have probably been like a recommendation, but I will say like trigger warning when it comes to the movie Boys Don't Cry. That's kind of, if you know the story, you know who I'm going to talk about. And trigger warning, if you do watch any of the documentaries or any, like I watched a 2020 episode from forever ago about this story. It's really difficult to watch. I felt like a gut punch every time this person was being misgendered. Well, and that is absolutely horrific and absolutely terrible, but there's so much uh-huh. like content and trigger warning with regard to that whole story. Yeah. There's sexual assault, uh-huh. there's violence. I mean, there's murder. It's just, it's all so heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. Yeah. Well, I think the name of this YouTube video that I watched kind of sums it up, which will bring me to my sources and it's called 
hatred and homophobia in the heartland of America, which was a true story um, from the documentary channel. And that just took a lot from like the documentary that I saw a while ago, which was just the Brandon Tina story. So spoiler alert, Brandon Tina, here we are. Yeah. So I did watch that Brandon Tina story on 2020, which is what I said trigger warning about too. And then I just got a lot of information from biography.com, which is always one of my favorites when it comes to this sort of thing. So I'm just going to start a sort of like start like you would just start with a bang. Here we go. If you haven't heard the story, I mean, a lot of people who listen to the pod have probably at least seen the movie Boys Don't Cry or heard of it, the subject. So but we have, I have found that we have a lot of young listeners yeah. or listeners who are, for lack of a better term, young in being fans of true crime. So they maybe know a lot of the newer stories. That's fair. But they don't know the cases like this that happened. And this was in the 80s and 90s, right? Yeah. In the 1993 Christmas Day, which that I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> I literally didn't even remember that this is when that had happened because it's been so long yeah. since I'd seen the movie or read anything about it. And I was like, oh, well, that just makes it even more perfect. Yeah, we're not good enough adults to plan something <laughs> perfectly. We're not. I mean, we did We did figure <laughs> that JonBenet Ramsey was going to come out around Christmas, but here we still are. Yeah. So another holiday story. Yes. Let's celebrate Christmas some more. <laughs> another holiday story. All right. So Brandon Tina was living his best life in rural Nebraska, but when two male friends discovered Brandon had not had actually been born female and not male, they brutally assaulted and raped him on Christmas Day, 1993. When the arresting officer was more interested in Brandon's genetic makeup than the crime at hand, neither of the two boys were arrested and Brandon's life was now in serious danger. That was... Is that pretty good? That was great, actually. <laughs> if you didn't know the story, I'm like, how do you tackle this? No, that was great. I, I literally was like... I need more. Uh, yes, yeah. I got you on the yeah. hook. All right. Yeah. So then we'll do who was Brandon Tina? Brandon Tina, by his late teens, had started to identify and live as a man. The youngest of two children, Tina was born in the heartland city of Lincoln, Nebraska on December 12th, 1972. Tina's childhood was not the most fun or healthy. His mother, Joanne, was only 16 years old and recently widowed when he was born. His father, Patrick, had been killed in a car accident. Joanne remarried for a short time, but got divorced when Tina was eight years old, and she struggled with raising two kids on a retail sales salary. In addition to these unfortunate circumstances, both Tina and his sister, Tammy, were sexually assaulted by a male relative all throughout childhood. Oh, Jesus. Which I feel like we hear so much of, and it just makes you feel even worse for this circumstance, you know? And I felt like I knew a lot about this story, but you've already said two very terrible like components that I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about the father having passed away and I didn't know about this Which I didn't sexual either. assault as a child. It's, well, I didn't either because it's not what they wanted people to know when this yeah. happened, right? Yeah. It just shows the time. Exactly. Despite these difficulties, Tina in his younger years was a full of life tomboy who enjoyed sports such as basketball, football, and weightlifting and kept a quote boyish appearance with short hair. He and his sister both attended private schools in Lincoln, but Tina had difficulties with the school's strict rules. By his sophomore year, he moved away to live with his girlfriend, Tracy Beals, and he then began exploring his sexuality. But Beals was reportedly abusive, and Tina quickly landed back at home at his mom's house. By his senior year, Tina was self-identifying as a man and dating girls, sometimes introducing himself as Billy and eventually as Brandon. Tina had transformed himself from a socially awkward teen into an outgoing, handsome class clown. 
However, his mother was not supportive of this transition and she refused to accept his male identity, continuing to refer to Tina as her daughter. And that's one of the most frustrating things you'll see in all of the documentaries you can watch. It's almost like she can't get it out fast enough when they ask her, were you supportive of this? They don't even finish their sentence before she's like, no. No, just like shaking her head, pursing her lips like, no, I no, absolutely not. And even said like, well, in our home, the girls had to know because I addressed as, you know, the dead name. Yeah. Which was just, yeah, that's the trigger warning. Those are the things you're going to see if you do dive more into this. And like you said, that's the sort of thing that you're going to see in a lot of these old documentaries mm-hmm. and like docu-series. And that's part of the reason why that's we want to do, do it. <laughs> what we want to do for season three. Mm-hmm. But yes, please continue. Of course. So 18-year-old Tina attempted to join the U.S. Army, but failed to pass the written exam. Toward the end of his senior year, Tina began missing school and failing his classes. He was expelled literally three days prior to graduation in June of 1991. What dickbag at the school did that? I, I mean, don't even on. know. I don't even know. I was suspended, actually, for telling my teacher she was a bitch because she took my phone away. And that was like a flip phone. Uh-huh. Like, I literally was, like, checking the time. And yeah. she t- it was a moment. And it was, like, I think five days before school was out mm-hmm. for the summer. And it was a 10 day with recommendation of expulsion. So literally the principal was just like, just do it the three days of community service. And I was like, okay. And I, I show up the first day. He's like, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it should be treated. I mean, absolutely. This kid was obviously struggling, needed some help, but it makes you wonder whether or not like a cisgender yeah. like person would have gotten that same yeah. sort of punishment. Sure. Me, the cute little tiny white girl at Mason. Like, of course he's going to be like, you've never gotten in trouble. You're fine. <laughs> It's like, that's how I just didn't get in trouble. I was just doing the things, you know. I mean, you are pretty cute. I was sneakier. Anyways. (laughs) So described as the ideal man who was the perfect balance of rugged and athletic with a Kennedy-like jawline, or as Gaga and I like to say, your boy has a jawline for days. (laughs) (laughs) I love a good Gaga reference. And that's what I think, too, every time I see a picture of Brandon. I'm like, God, he does have that jawline. Very handsome, yeah. Tina had a handful of romances, but with lack of support from family and trepidation about his own gender and sexuality, he was also severely depressed. Tina at one point attempted suicide and was sent to spend a few days in the Lancaster County Crisis Center, where a psychiatrist determined that he was suffering from a gender identity crisis and personality disorder. This also brought up memories of his sexual abuse from childhood. Upon his release, Tina began attending therapy sessions, but abruptly stopped. Tina never got the help that he needed because he quickly began engaging in compulsive behavior, such as forging checks and stealing credit cards. And that was mostly so that he could buy gifts for his girlfriends. And there's one where that even said, like, he proposed to her with a ring that he had bought with her card. Yeah. Kind of situation, which was just kind of, like, sad to know. Like, you're just trying so hard to get someone to love you that you have to go to that, like, level. In 1993, faced with multiple warrants for theft and forgery, Tina left his hometown and headed to a place where nobody knew that he was biologically born female. So now we kind of just go into like the life and crimes, I guess is what I titled it. Just before his 21st birthday, Tina arrived in Humboldt, Nebraska, where he had moved in hopes of a fresh start in a community where he could solely identify himself. He quickly found a new group of friends, including John Lauder and Marvin Thomas Neeson. He also began dating 19-year-old Lana... I'm just laughing because you're already shaking your head. (laughs) 19-year-old Lana Tisdale, but money was still an issue, and Tina began to start forging checks again to make money. On December 19th, 1983, Tina was arrested. When his girlfriend Lana showed up to pay his bail, much to her surprise, she found Brandon housed in the female section of the jail. 
This was her first awareness that Tina was transgender. Tina tried to explain that he was intersex, which is something that a lot of people tried to argue on these documentaries, but they're like, there's no, nothing to substantiate that. Probably something that he said, so it made more sense to other people is kind yeah. of how I gathered it, and that he was interested in seeking gender reassignment surgery. So despite his attempt to identify as a man, now everyone in town found out that Tina was transgender when his arrest details were published in the local paper along with his birth name. Of course. We still see that, though. Like, that still happens. Yeah, we've seen that a lot in 2020. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Yes, Uh, we will get there, too, with yours. Shortly thereafter, at a Christmas Eve party, Tina was confronted by Lauder and Neeson. Lauder, who had previously dated Tina's girlfriend, Lana, was especially angered by the information. Lauder and Neeson forced Tina into a car, drove him to a remote area in Humboldt, physically restrained him, beat him, raped him, and then beat him again. Afterward. They drove back to Neeson's house, threatening to kill Tina if he reported the incident. Tina snuck out of a bathroom window and went to his girlfriend's house. Lana promptly called an ambulance. Tina arrived at the Falls City Hospital emergency room, where a rape kit was conducted and a police report was filed. Unfortunately, the victimization report turned into an interrogation when Sheriff Charles Lau blamed Tina for his assault and made inappropriate comments about his identity. And that is really hard to watch. That's readily available. Disgusting. It's horrifying. Like, why do you want to wear man's clothes? And, and and he literally makes her say, I don't, makes him say my private area. Mm-hmm. Why would a grown man, a police officer at that, make you literally say something that you're obviously physically uncomfortable saying? It's well, just this power move of Absolutely, grossness. absolutely. I mean, there's ignorance there. There's a lack of education with regard to those issues. And there's the fact that this person is clearly a complete piece of trash, garbage, (laughs) dickbag human being. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying when you see this or hear it, even what goes down. So I wanted to add in, too, that Tina's mother later filed a lawsuit against Richardson County and that police officer for their negligent treatment and was awarded nearly $100,000 in 2001, which I think is... How many times do we hear of, like, parents of victims that actually deserve their money, but, you know... They don't get it. They're not going to get it. And this piece of shit parent Mm -hmm. who didn't support her child or Mm -hmm. recognize her child's, like, actual identity... Even after death. Even on 2020, you know, afterwards. Even after... Found a way to profit... Yeah. ...from what was horrific Mm -hmm. in what happened to her child. I just... Let's give it another one. Honestly, in my opinion, she probably was celebrating about it because she's like, you know what? Now I don't have to deal with that bullshit anymore. And people asking me questions, looking at me weird. And I get to be rich probably in her. I mean, $100,000 is a lot of money, but like, let's be real. It's not like rich, rich. Yeah. So, yeah. I The most money uh, from what you've told us about the family is probably the most money she'd ever seen. That's what I'm saying, just based on what you've seen of this woman. So this officer Lau subsequently interviewed Neeson and Lauder about the assault, but did not arrest them. After being questioned by the police, the two were furious that Tina had reported the incident and sought revenge. And this is really short because, I mean, like, there's really not much else I can say about this. On December 31st, 1993, Lauder and Neeson went to where Tina was staying. The duo shot and killed Tina at point-blank range and then stabbed him. They also murdered the other two adults in the household, Lisa Lambert and Philip Devine, or Devine, who was dating 
Lana's sister at the time, so Tina's girlfriend's sister, all in front of Lambert's eight-month-old son. Nason and Lauder were arrested and charged that very same day. Well, great. Now, because you've killed two other people, you know, you can get arrested. Both were found guilty of murder. Neeson received life in prison in exchange for his testimony against Lauder, and Lauder received the death penalty. But in 2015, Nebraska abolished the death penalty, thus giving Lauder a life sentence, Mm. which I kind of am okay with. Yeah, we've discussed, (laughs) you and I both, on this podcast that the like the death penalty is kind of a gray area for yeah. us like i don't always support it and i'm not yeah. always not in favor of it i do think it's situational and everyone's opinion is their opinion and the way that you feel about it is the way that you feel about it i'm just not sure that i can make a decision personally about how i think it should be handled 100 percent of the time and I think a lot of the times we want people to sit and suffer with what they did for years and years and years. But then like the part of our heads is also like, well, we're paying for them to be in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like that's. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Sometimes sitting in prison is, is worse. Yeah. You know, for the remainder there are fates of your worse life. than death, as yeah. they say, right? Yeah, exactly. And I did want to mention, I'm really glad that you told the story of the the third victim as well, because Mm -hmm. the third victim, that gentleman, I forget his name, Mm -hmm. but he often gets left out. Yeah. Philip, Philip often gets left out because he, I don't even think his character was depicted in that scene in the movie. I don't. And I, I even thought that too. I don't think that it was now. I mean, I will say, I don't know if I said this on record or off, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't watch the movie again. Like I couldn't, I I know what I'm about to watch and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So it's like watching the last episode of the first season of 13 reasons why, like I've seen it once I have full on panic attack, never going to do it again. So it's serious trigger warning, but it's a great depiction. And and it's something that I feel like a lot of more people need to see because it still happens. I am able to desensitize myself and detach myself from a lot of the true crime that we talk about. Yes. And a lot of really horrific things that I see day to day as part of my job working in emergency medicine. But when I develop any sort of an emotional attachment to what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing, I automatically can't do it again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I have to stop. Otherwise I'm this blubbering mess. Yeah. And this case is one of those for me. Definitely. As well as the Matthew Shepard case. That's Mm -hmm. one of those for me. Like I'll never be able to watch the Laramie Project ever again. No, even when I was researching Matthew Shepard, when I thought I was going to cover that one a couple weeks ago, I was like, I can't watch that. What was it? My friend Matthew or something like that. There was like a documentary that was out. I was like, I've seen that. I can't watch it again. Like it's just, it tugs at the heartstrings too much. But again, this is like not a documentary. It's a movie that was based on his life and it's a great depiction, but it is for the hundredth time, (laughs) very hard to watch. Like I said, even the 2020 episode, it was, I'm not someone, I'm a cisgendered woman. Like I'm not someone who has struggled with that, but it was literally like getting punched in the stomach every time that they misgendered him. It really was. And and I couldn't imagine being someone who has had to deal with it, you know? And I can't imagine how confusing that is for anyone who doesn't have like a great knowledge base of who transgender people are mm-hmm. and ways that they've had to struggle and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how confusing that is for someone who's just trying to be open-minded yeah, sure. and trying to learn something and they're being 
being essentially taught all the wrong things yeah. by this like dead naming and misgendering. Well, because you can even tell that the that the reporter on this on the 2020 that I watched, she felt terrible about the situation. Yeah. She would have done right by him, but she was just being fed what to say, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So I definitely, yeah, I see exactly what you mean. And so we decided to go in this order because you are doing the greatest wrap up of all time for season two, right after we take a break. <laughs> okay. Well, Do you want to add yeah. something first? Um, <laughs> He's like, wait, are we at the end now? Let's let's take a quick break. Yeah. And then I'll come back and just start fresh from the beginning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have returned. And, all right, so I will explain how I came to the place that I came to in order to cover this kind of heavy subject matter. So we have recently, especially the holiday season, we've been trying to cover cases or tell stories that are kind of applicable to maybe the week or like the holiday Mm -hmm. that these things are coming out like around. And I knew that this particular episode was going to be coming out like after Christmas, around New Year's-ish. And I was just Googling and kind of nosing around the internet. And I happened upon the case of a transgender man who was killed, I think, on New Year's Day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2020. And that led me to some information. I read that case, actually. Yeah. yeah. That led me to some information from the HRC, which literally talked about all of the known transgender and gender non-conforming people that were killed violently in 2020. And uh-huh. I had a really difficult time prioritizing one of those cases over the other. And I decided that we were just going to talk about all of them. And I'm so glad that you decided to do that because there was a case, I think, with the, one of the Black Trans Lives ones that I told where it had happened during like a slew yeah. of these murders uh, during Pride Month or at the end of Pride Month, which was just so wonderful to bring it to a close. And that's kind of where I was at at that moment. I'm like, man, it's really hard to just choose one of these when they all are terrible. And I I was bouncing around from like four or five different ones. So I'm glad that this is, it just serendipitously worked out. I think this is not a positive note to end our season two on no, and but not a positive note to end 2020 on, but it's necessary. Yes. I was going to say it's definitely like, that's what we're here for. And we'll definitely, you know, we'll, we'll just try to make it lighthearted towards the end. We'll get yeah. the information out and yeah. we'll have a little chit chat afterwards. Yeah. Hopefully people aren't crying at the end of this. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I am going to be talking about fatal violence against the transgender and gender nonconforming community in 2020. And I got this information primarily from hrc.org, but CNN.com also did a really fantastic write up as well. So here we go. Tragically, 2020 has already seen at least 41 transgender or gender nonconforming people fatally shot or killed by other violent means. The majority of these victims were transgender women who were either black or of Latin descent. The term at least is often used when quantifying these murders because too often these stories go misreported due to dead naming or misgendering, and there is no real way to know the exact number. So oftentimes mm-hmm. these murders are reported, but they're reported using the incorrect name the incorrect gender, the incorrect pronouns, and we just don't know. Yeah. So there's no way to know. I was telling that to my friend, Tori, who I bring up all the time on this, because I'm always telling her about this stuff, about how that happens still, like constantly, Mm -hmm. even this year. And she's like, that's just from people being uneducated. And you're absolutely correct. And I was like, that's awesome. You literally just said that, you know, when I was talking about Brandon. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, at least we know that, right? (laughs) At least something we can cling to. And if you're reporting this information, if it's your full-time job, 
to report the most accurate information, uh-huh. you A, should be doing it, and B, it can't be that hard to find if people like you and I can just Google search this Literally. information. All right, so... Since the HRC began tracking the amount of transgender and gender non-conforming people who are violently killed back in the year 2013, advocates have never seen such a high amount at this time of year, thus making 2020 the deadliest year on record for this marginalized group of people. I also kind of wonder why that is. I mean, think about our political climate. Well, I'm glad that you said (laughs) that because people in high places will agree with you. In response to this data, The president of the HRC, Alfonso David, had this to say, quote, This year we reached two grim milestones. The human rights campaign has recorded the most deaths of transgender and gender nonconforming people of any year since we started tracking this violence, and we have documented more than 200 total deaths. (sighs) Every life that we have lost this year and every year since had value and did not deserve to be cut short. Mm. Divisive and dehumanizing rhetoric from anti-quality political leaders Ahem, ahem, exactly what you just said, has contributed to the toxic mix of racism, sexism, transphobia, or the racism, sexism, and transphobia that drives this horrific violence. It is on all of us to fight for change at every level and take action to support trans and and gender nonconforming people. We must work to dismantle the stigma that so many in the trans and gender nonconforming community face and bring this violence to an end, end quote. I can't tell you how many times I read that quote when I was doing different research because I just kept coming back to this same web page. Yeah, and it's such a powerful statement that it makes sense that they use it over and Mm -hmm. over and over again with Mm -hmm. these recordings. Yeah, and I mean, I know that I said what I said and I stand by it and he's saying the same thing and I love that it's like almost like a political jab because you're not going to say exactly you're not going to pull a Biden and be like, I can't get anything in with this clown. But like, yeah. he really just said what he said and he meant it and he didn't yeah. say any names, but I said you know, what I said. I said what I said. <laughs> All right. Many factors can cause this violence, including anti-transgender stigma, which can lead to denial of opportunities in society, such as gainful employment and access to health care. These often result in higher incidences of poverty and homelessness. The combination of all these factors which are often exacerbated by racism and sexism, can lead to an increased risk of fatal violence. Furthermore, there are few existing legal protections for transgender and gender nonconforming people. Protections such as the Violence Against Women Act, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Preventions Act, and the decision of Bostick versus Clayton County, Georgia, which if anybody's not familiar with that one, it's the extension of essentially... Employers can't discriminate against employees based on, for many, many years, it's included race, sex, age, things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, this widened that or broadened that to also include gender identity and your uh, sexual preference. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This violence cannot be stopped until the rights of transgender and gender nonconforming people are fully realized and our systems are reformed to address the epidemic and are at its core roots. So how do we do that? How can we affect change? Well, for starters, we're doing it right now. We're having these conversations and we're making the information accessible to other people so that they can also have these conversations. Second, be mindful of the lawmakers that you're electing to government offices. And that's all offices, state, local, and federal. Hey, we can say at least our county. Well, no, I guess it's not your county. We we elected our first openly gay 
sheriff for Hamilton County. We did. We did. We did snaps for her. Snaps for Charmaine McGuffey. Yes. I just wanted to throw that in there. We never no, brought that I up. That's kind of a huge thing. It's it is a from. huge thing. <laughs> and I appreciate the fact that you did. Yeah. And then, though. No, then my, my personal note here is I said, put asses in the seats whose politics, integrity, and voting history value LGBTQ plus lives and the rights of those people as much as they value everyone else's. Last but certainly not least, we say their names, which I have already said yeah. uh, I intend to do right now. So here we go. Dustin Parker, 25 years old, was fatally shot in McAllister, Oklahoma, early on New Year's Day. His employers released a statement shortly after his death, remembering Parker as a steadfast friend and an amazing husband and father uh, who was generous to a fault. He loved fiercely, worked tirelessly, and took on life with so much hope and enthusiasm that his presence brightened all of our lives, which is just beautiful. On my whole body. Nelisa Ruiz was fatally shot in Baja, Puerto Rico on February 24th. According to Metro Puerto Rico, members of her community knew her as humble and noble. There is an alarming amount in Puerto Rico. There are an alarming amount. There's also an alarming amount, or at least I felt like there was an alarming amount in uh, Ohio. For sure. Which we're going to see. For sure. Um, a lot and, of, and a lot of serial killers. Why do we have so much? I just feel like because there's nothing going on in Ohio. It must be up north where there's just like farm fields and like nowhere to hide. That's I don't correct. Because a like, lot of them are up near Cleveland. I, that's what I noticed, right? I, they're all sort of, sort of in that area. Yeah. And since you've uh, mentioned the fact that a lot of them are in Puerto Rico, please forgive me for the mispronunciations of these names in these cities and towns <laughs> and whatnot. You're fine. I'm it's not screw easy. It yeah. It's not easy. But you're, the point is we're saying the stories, yeah. right? Yambi Menendez Arrocho. 19 years old, was killed in Moca, Puerto Rico on March 5th. Orocho, a transgender man, shared his love of basketball and NBA, donning Miami Heat apparel on social media. The biography line on his Facebook reads simply, Humility prevails. Aww. Scott, or Scotty Lynn DeVore, a 51-year-old gender nonconforming person, was killed in Augusta, Georgia. Friends remember DeVore as sweet and beautiful on Facebook. Monica Diamond, 34 years old, a black transgender woman, was killed in Charlotte, North Carolina on March 18th. Diamond was active in the Charlotte LGBTQ community and also their nightlife, was the co-owner of an event promotion company. She also was the co-CEO of the International Mother of the Year pageantry system, which is a pageant that honors LGBTQ mothers. Wow. So we really lost a good one. We really lost. I mean, not that they're not all good, but that's just, wow. She's, she's out there making the whole community better. It's almost like someone, whoever targeted this person did it, did it just because she was so loud and proud. So loud and proud and active and improving the lives of the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. Lexi, a 33 year old transgender woman was killed in Harlem, New York on March 28th. According to reports, Lexi was fatally stabbed in Harlem River Park. I really looked up to her because of her tolerance and respect, said Lavania Brooks, a good friend of Lexi's. Lexi had a beautiful heart. She was very gifted. Brooks also noted that Lexi loved poetry, makeup, and fashion. So, pop off, sis. Mm-hmm. Johanna Metzger, a transgender woman, was killed in Baltimore, Maryland on April 11th. According to reports, she was visiting a Baltimore recovery center from Pennsylvania at the time. Johanna was known for her love of music, and she also taught herself how to play multiple instruments. This person was seeking help, and that's what you get. Serena Angelique Velasquez Ramos, 32 years old, 
was killed in Puerto Rico on April 21st. Ramos was alongside Leila Sanchez, age 21. According to reports, Ramos was visiting the island on vacation and was set to return home to Queens, New York at the end of that month. Loved ones are mourning her death, or who are mourning her death, call her full of life, a happy person, and a sincere friend. On May 1st, two men were actually charged under federal hate crime law for her death. Good. So good. That's some justice in that case. Yeah, some good news and, and sprinkled in. Yeah. And to follow up with that, Leila Sanchez, 21, was killed in Puerto Rico, also on April 21st. She was alongside Serena, who we've just previously mentioned. According to reports, Sanchez recently moved to the island and was visiting a neighborhood in Los Padres on May 1st. And again, the same two men uh, from Puerto Rico were charged under federal hate crime laws for her death as well. I think I was going to, those might have been stories that I was going to tell too. Yeah, a lot I, think of these, I remember reading those. Yeah, a lot of these names were familiar to me because they were cases that I looked into. Mm-hmm. And some of these names you will recognize and the Slay Queens will recognize because they are cases that we covered. Sure, yeah. Penelope Diaz Ramirez, a transgender woman killed in Puerto Rico on April 13th. Penelope did not deserve to die. Transgender people do not deserve to die. Every single advocate, ally, elected official, and community member must stand up in light of this horrific news and say no more. What we are doing is not enough, said Tori Cooper, HRC Director of Community Engagement for the Transgender Justice Initiative. <sighs> yeah. It's tough. It is. But you're doing, you're doing amazing. Sweetie. Thank you. <laughs> you're doing good. Doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Nina Pop, a black transgender woman, was killed in Sykeston, Missouri on May 3rd. She was deeply loved by her family, friends, and community, according to her Facebook page. Hella, or Helly J. O'Regan. 20 years old, a transgender woman was killed in San Antonio, Texas on May 6th. Reagan was proud of her trans identity and on Twitter, she was often outspoken against the injustices and faced by the LGBTQ community and inequalities that they suffered. She also was very outspoken about decriminalizing sex work, et cetera, et cetera. Damien Terrell Campbell, 42, has since been charged with a Reagan's murder. This one, you will recognize Tony McDade, a black transgender man, was killed in Tallahassee, Florida on May 27th. His friends and family shared how he was an energetic, giving person with a big heart. Dominique Remy Fells, a black transgender woman, was killed in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 9th. One personal friend posted online, Dom was a unique and beautiful soul who I'm lucky to have known personally. I'm beside myself right now. We need to fight. We need to do more. We need to bring justice. Rhea Milton, who we are also familiar with on this podcast, is a 25-year-old black transgender woman who was killed in Liberty Township, Ohio on June 9th. In March, she posted the status, never been scared to struggle. I'm going to get it eventually. A comment highlighting her resilience and optimism as a person facing transphobia, misogyny, and racism. Jane Thompson, a 33-year-old white transgender woman, was killed in Mesa County, Colorado on May 9th. She was killed by a Colorado State Patrol trooper and misgendered in initial news reports. Selena Reyes-Hernandez, a 37-year-old transgender woman, was killed in Chicago on May 31st. We have lost a beloved member of our trans family because of hate. Hate that has corrupted our country's soul and that shatters lives and futures every day. Tori Cooper, HRC Director of Community Engagement for the Transgender Justice Initiative. Brian Powers, a 43-year-old Black transgender person, was killed in Akron, Ohio on June 13th. 
Powers worked at a local catering company and is remembered for wearing long, colorful braids, which he called unicorn braids. <laughs> yeah, as, as Powers called them, unicorn braids. This is one that I actually considered covering for the podcast, and we've talked about this one. Brayla Stone, a 17-year-old black transgender girl, was found killed in Little Rock, Arkansas on June 25th. Brayla Stone was a child, a child just beginning to live her life, a child of the trans experience, a black girl, a person who had hopes and dreams and plans and community, said Tori Cooper, HRC director, who we've already spoken of. On September 4th, a man was actually arrested and charged in connection to, with her murder and death. Mercy Mack, a 22-year-old black transgender woman, was killed in Dallas, Texas on June 30th. Her loved ones shared how beautiful of a friend she was on her social media. She had recently posted that she enjoyed baking and that she was looking forward to returning to work. On July 8th, a man was arrested on a murder charge in connection to her death. (laughs) I did tell that one, too. Yeah, you did. Shaky Peters, a 32-year-old black transgender woman, was killed in Amity City, Louisiana, on July 1st. In just four days, we have seen the deaths of at least three transgender and gender nonconforming people, including Shaky Peters. This is a horrific spike against our community, and it must be an urgent call for action for every single person in this nation. Said again, of course, Tori Cooper, Director of Community Engagement for the HRC's Trans Justice Initiative. She just had a slew of bad press conferences, I'm sure. Yeah. Free Black. A 27-year-old black transgender woman was killed in Pomano Beach, Florida, on July 3rd. These killings are being fueled by a deadly combination of racism, transphobia, and these must cease. We must come together as a community and demand justice for those who were taken from us. And again, that was Tori Cooper. Summer Taylor, a white non-binary person in Seattle, Washington, was killed on July 4th. Taylor was participating in the Black Femme March in solidarity with Black Lives Matter against police brutality. Taylor worked full-time at an urban animal veterinary hospital. Mm. Marilyn Cazares was a transgender Latina killed in Brawley, California. Mindy Garcia, an aunt of uh, Marilyn's, said that she loved to sing and dance and never bothered anybody. Dior H. Ova who was also reportedly going by the name of Tiffany Harris, a black transgender woman, was killed in the Bronx, New York. According to her Facebook, Ova loved fashion, listing her career as a personal shopper and posting photos with luxury fashion brands that she loved. On August 13th, a man was arrested and charged with her murder. Kashida D. Hardy, a 22-year-old black transgender woman, was killed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana on July 27th. Hardy, a hairstylist, was extremely loved by her community. Friends and loved ones described her as loyal, loving, always smiling, and the life of the party, and also truly one of a kind. Aja Raquel Roan Spears, a black transgender woman, was killed in Portland, Oregon on July 28th. According to Facebook, she studied at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and was the owner and founder of International Barbie. Okay, I should have looked uh, into that business. Oh my God, in Portland too. A Portland-based clothing brand. Did not expect. Interesting. Would not expect. I should have looked more into that. Yeah, now I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, Leah Rashawn Day, a 28-year-old black transgender woman, died in a Cuyahoga County jail in Cleveland, Ohio on August 30th. Lee's death is unacceptable. Increased risk factors such as homelessness combined with racism, sexism, and transphobia conspired to lead 
to a death that should have been prevented. That, of course, was said by Tori Cooper. He, Sam, a black transgender woman, was killed in Lafayette, Louisiana on August 12th. We must all speak up in support of transgender and gender nonconforming people and confirm that black trans lives matter, said HRC's Tori Cooper. (laughs) Ariane Burnett, a black transgender woman, was killed in Independence, Missouri on September 19th. Her friends and family shared, if you want to have a good day, if you need to smile, Ariane was the person you wanted by your side, which just tugs at my heartstrings. Yeah, that's rough. Mia Green, a 29-year-old black transgender woman, was killed in Philadelphia on September 28th. Her friends and family shared how her smile was so perfect and so contagious, she made everyone laugh. Micheline... Ramos Vargas, so pop off with that <laughs> I name. It. I love it. A transgender woman from Puerto Rico in her mid-30s was killed in San Germain, Puerto Rico, on September 30th. Any level of violence is unacceptable. We are not doing enough to protect transgender and gender nonconforming people, especially trans women, said the HRC's Tori Cooper. Felicia Harris, a 33-year-old transgender woman, was killed in Augusta, Georgia, in October. Felicia was an interior decorator who ran her own company where she enjoyed lending her eye to improve the surroundings of others and made others feel comfortable in their own space. Brooklyn Deshunna, 20 years old, a black transgender woman, was killed in Shreveport, Louisiana. So many of these in Georgia and Louisiana. Honestly, I'm noticing that. Yeah. Yeah. On October 7th, Brooklyn attended Bossier Parish Community College and studied cosmetology. Sarah Blackman. A transgender woman was killed in Indianapolis, Indiana on October 11th, recognized as National Coming Out Day. Mm, Lovely. Terrible. She enjoyed playing video games and was a fan of the show My Little Pony. Girl, same. Love that. Angela Unique, a 25-year-old black transgender woman, was killed in Memphis, Tennessee on October 25th. A licensed cosmetologist, friends and family of Angela remember her as being, quote, very funny, very nice to everyone she met, and such a bright person with a positive spirit. Fuck you, Memphis, for doing that to that woman. I can say that because I lived in Memphis for a long time. (laughs) A lot of cosmetologists, too. Yeah. Skylar Heath, a 20-year-old black trans woman killed on November 4th in Miami, Florida, was described as kind and gentle, who had such a love for family and close friends. Skyler had a, quote, warm personality and friendly spirit and brought people who knew her so much joy. Uniski, I apologize if I've mispronounced that. Uniski Carrie Herrera, also known as Uni Carrie, a 39-year-old Latina transgender woman was killed in Miami, Florida on November 17th. Herrera was also known to model. She was a performer, dancer, and activist loved by the LGBTQ community in Miami. A friend of Herrera described her as Besides being strikingly beautiful, she was kind and she was good. Asia Janae Foster, a 22-year-old black transgender woman, was killed on November 20th in Houston, Texas. Her death occurred on Trans Day of Remembrance. Why? It's like, why? Because the people who are doing this don't care or know. And if they do, they're doing it on purpose. Because they're shitbags. Yeah. Uh, complete trash. Honestly. Okay. Her death occurred on the Trans Day of Remembrance, a day created to honor those in our community taken by violence. Asia was remembered during a candlelight vigil where her friends and family describe her as a beacon of light in their community. Kaimisha Sims, a black transgender woman in her 30s, was killed on November 23rd in Richmond, Virginia. 
Sims was sometimes, or she sometimes used, <laughs> she sometimes used the nickname Kai Kai. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, she was, <laughs> I love it. She was close with her friends and family. They remember her on social media as good, kind, and caring. And last but certainly not least, Kimberly Fial, a 55-year-old white transgender woman, was killed on November 22nd in San Jose, California, at a homeless shelter where she volunteered. Jesus. She is remembered by friends and loved ones as kind and loving and someone with a twinkle in her eye. Good grief. All such, like, amazing humans. Amazing humans. Lives that were cut short in their prime. Way too short. All people who were doing amazing things in their own lives, amazing things in their communities. People who died violent deaths, tragically and unnecessarily. And I apologize if it was rough getting through that because it felt rough for me. No, to get it's nice. All that. You did awesome. And yeah. and it's I was just gonna say it's wild that you can fill like the full amount of time that we normally use to tell a story with just like names and who they were. Uh, like a synopsis, like a yeah. very little like a blip of their life. And that's a lot of people. It's a lot, and but it's necessary to say their names and tell a little bit about them rather than just say the names, you know? Because yeah. They're more than just names. They are. They were lives. They were people. They touched other lives. They touched other people. And just because they're gone and their suffering has ended doesn't mean that those who loved them aren't still suffering. Yeah. Because violence took away their loved one, their friend, their family member, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. And especially when, you know, you hear such activists, I mean, those are, those are people's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're idols, like they're, they're role models, you know, and, and someone the is ambassadors everyone's. for the community. And, yeah. And someone is everyone's role model, but someone at that level, I mean, it's just, you have so many people that probably don't even know that person that yeah. are just completely disheveled when something like this happens. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was. That was intense. Say something to make me laugh. You did (laughs) good. Tell me a joke. Tell me a joke right now. Tell me a joke. (laughs) I don't have it. I can't perform on on cue. I'm not a stand-up artist. Okay, I've got one. Do you want to do like an improv situation? I've got one. How do you think the unthinkable? You be Donald Trump. (laughs) How do you you think the unthinkable? I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Wow. How do you think the unthinkable? You don't think. I don't know. What? (laughs) You hit it with an iceberg. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Not making fun of anybody who might have a speech disorder no, or a speech impediment. I just think of Mike Tyson. <laughs> but I, I exactly, I think of Mike Tyson, and I, of. I love a good simple dad joke. I should, oh my gosh, that's so, why I'm laughing so hard. Yeah, people, other people probably roll their eyes, and I'm just like, oh, that's me, another one. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we hope you stuck it out. Yeah. For the full episode, we hope that you at least you know listened and absorbed and you take away a sense of we can make change. Absolutely. We can. And the easiest way to even start doing that is to tell the stories and say the names. Mm-hmm. To, um, be, to know about it. To educate, educate yourself. Yeah. Fully. We thank you all for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, we would hope that you would like, listen, rate, and review five stars. Yes. And uh, shout us out on social medias. Follow us on social medias. Where can they do that, Ashley? We're Slay Queens Pod everywhere. Yes, everywhere across the board, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on our Patreon. We are slayqueenspod at gmail.com. If you like to email, we are there. We are here. We are everywhere. 
subscribe to the, <laughs> yeah, subscribe to the Patreon. Yes. The fan folks are getting all of our episodes at least a week early. The fan folks now are determining a case that we are going to cover once a month. Yes. Now moving forward. Oh, we're also going to do some trivia for the we're gonna fan do, folks. Yeah, we're going to do some live streaming uh, for the folks. We think we're going to play some Serial Killer or maybe RuPaul's Drag Race trivia. Yes. Because do you know that I have a game of Guess Ru? Like, no. guess who, but with actually, the RuPaul's yes, Drag yes, Queens. Actually, yes, yes, yes. That's so funny. Yeah. Hunter actually sent me a Snapchat of that. And yeah. I was like, did you guys make that or did you, like, yeah. buy it? Yeah. That's amazing. Also, we could play our Golden Girls game. Because we're the only we people we know. We're the only people we know. <laughs> yeah, that enjoy it and are any good at it. Yes. Uh, so we're going to do some live streaming on the Patreon. So please join. Yes. Please join. We appreciate all of you, queens, kings, and folks. We do. We would hope that you enjoyed the Slay Queens in 2020. Yes, and we hope that you have a great holiday season. Absolutely, because this marks the end of us for 2020. It does. The next time you hear from us, it'll be 2021. Reminder, we are taking the week of Christmas off. Taking a break. Which will translate into the first week of episodes for you listeners. So we will be back. <laughs> we will be back, 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 back again. <laughs> Thank you for you doing that. You didn't even do it yet. <laughs> yeah. I did it the, the, when I oh, came did back you? from the first okay, break. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll I be, totally tuned it out. I didn't even realize. Yeah. We'll be back, 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 back again. Uh, second week of January yes. 2021. We hope that you are all safe and you've enjoyed your holiday season and that 2021 by that time is looking Better and brighter than 2020. Yes, please. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Yes, please. We need it. And we would also hope they would do what, Ashley? Just go out and slay, Queens. (laughs) S-L-A-Y. Or you still have time to S-L-E-I-G-H. Oh, yeah. I like how you did that. That was good. (laughs) Just not. Just not each each other. other. (laughs) I'm going away, but I won't come back. Sweet little girl who sleeps in the